Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his, in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is in the smallest of all your seeds, though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. <coughs> then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen poured it up on the shore then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new tre treasures as well as old. That's better. Okay, let's pray and then think about this passage in Matthew. 
Our Lord God, we thank you for this day that we can share together. Uh, please help us to understand uh, a bit more carefully this passage and to uh, build our lives on your word. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you can recall times in life when you've seen the world a bit differently. The year 2013 uh, was a time when a guy called James Howells certainly began to see the world differently. For he heard that the online currency, a Bitcoin, had just reached a peak of 1,000 US dollars. Now, James had obtained 7,500 bitcoins back in 2009, and he stored them on his hard drive uh, when they were virtually worthless. So he picked up a whole stack and uh, got them cheap as chips. But by 2013, at $1,000 each, uh, he, they suddenly became very valuable. They were valuable to buy goods and services on the internet, like using eBay to buy things. And you could even exchange them for real money as well. So his 7,500 bitcoins were worth an Aussie dollar of 7.9 million. Wow, that's a lot of money for bitcoins. But James also began to see the world a bit differently when he realised that earlier that year, he'd thrown out his computer hard drive uh, with all these bitcoins on it. Uh, when he'd done one of those technology cleanups around the house. And so he went to the dump, which was the size of a soccer field, and he went to try to find it. Yes, I am laughing a bit here, that's right. <laughs> James uh, went and spoke to the manager of the dump, and James said this. The manager explained to me that things that were sent to the landfill four, three or four months ago could be about 1.5 metres deep. He said, he confirmed my worst fears when he said that. Well, I'm sorry to say, folks, but I couldn't find an article to tell you whether James found his hard drive or not. But I imagine if he's kept up the search, he's not only seeing the world in a different way, he's smelling the world in a different way as well as he dodges through to try and find the hard drive. Even if he did find it, there was no guarantee he could retrieve the data of the bitcoins. Bit of a sad story for James. But moving on to more important things, in today's talk, uh, we meet with not James, but Jesus. And he calls us in Matthew 13 to start to see the world a bit differently as well. He teaches in parables. They're a bit like a riddle at times. But when people crack the code and start to understand what the parable's about, they can also see life in a whole different way. Well, at this point in uh, Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has already begun his preaching ministry. He's already proclaimed the expression, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom is at hand, uh, repent and believe the good news. And so the kingdom of heaven, which is um, Matthew's shorthand expression for the kingdom of God, he's, he says kingdom of heaven because he's writing probably supremely to Jews at the time and he's trying to soften it. They didn't like to use God's word, God's name. Uh, but the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. And it's a way of speaking about uh, the reign of heaven or the rule of heaven or the reign of God, uh, God's kingship. And the expectations of those who heard Jesus' message about the kingdom 
was high. They were longing for a time when God would come back again and reign through his king. Now, as we know, the Jews uh, were living under the authority of the Romans and another king called Caesar. And that had been taking place for a fair while. And so they were looking forward to the time of God's uh, fulfilment of his covenant promises to King David that one day there would be a, another king on the throne of David who would reign forever. And so they looked forward to that time. And their ex- expectations of Jesus were high as he taught about the kingdom of heaven, as he taught about the reign of God, and how it was actually breaking in on the present as Jesus ministered among people, as Jesus called people to turn back to God and put their trust in him, God's kingdom was breaking in on the present. But some people also were sceptical about Jesus being uh, this coming anointed one. They heard him teach, they saw his signs and wonders, and yet they failed to submit to him. Uh, Back in chapter 12 of Matthew's Gospel, we we see that the Pharisees witness Jesus healing a man's shriveled hand, but he does it on the Sabbath, and so they think Jesus is sus. And after a while, he divides the crowds, and some who were sceptical, we find out even the Pharisees went out and conspired against Jesus in order to kill him. Well, how could things work out this way? How could it be that God's kingdom's breaking in, but people aren't responding to Jesus? Well, we saw something of an answer last week when Scott spoke from the parable of the sower. It was the same message. The same message went out to all kinds of people. But some didn't bear fruit when they heard it. They didn't believe Jesus and they didn't value his message. They might have been expecting a different kind of king to come and were disappointed uh, when they came across Jesus. And yet he even tells them that one greater than Solomon has now come. So he's, he's not leaving, leaving them in any doubt as to his power from his signs, wonders and his teaching and his wisdom, but they didn't value him or his message. Yet Jesus encourages his followers as well. For some did receive Jesus and his message. They understood it and they built their lives on his teaching and uh, with their trust in him and bore the fruit of having Jesus as their king. Well, today, as we listen to what Jesus has to say, we see that he's speaking about the topic of the kingdom once again, but he's speaking about when the kingdom will come specifically and also how valuable God's kingdom is. Some of the disciples might have been a bit confused. They knew that God's kingdom had broken in on the present age. They knew that because as they put their trust in Jesus, they'd received God's forgiveness. But the marks of this age, violence, poverty, sickness and ungodly authorities still remained. And so they thought that the kingdom should have arrived all at once. And we can appreciate that tension as well, can't we? At times we want God's kingdom to have come completely as well. But it's against that background that teaches, Jesus teaches more about when the kingdom's coming. And so the challenge is to wait patiently for it. That's point one in your outline there. In the parable of the weeds and the wheat, we have a parable about waiting. Jesus addresses the crowds in verse 24. 
the crowds hear what Jesus has to say. But if they think it's foolishness, if they don't think there's very much in it, they don't tend to hang around for the explanations. If they didn't value what Jesus taught about, then that measure was also used to them. Even what little they might have heard, if they didn't think much of it, they would have forgotten it pretty quickly and even that would have been taken away. But if they did value it, they could have come to understand what God was teaching them. They could have become one of Jesus' followers and moved into the inner circle or the inner group where people were actually having the parables explained to them. Because the movements of the people were fluid. They could move from being an outsider into an insider. Jesus didn't only have the 12 disciples, uh, the 12 apostles, there was a whole lot of disciples. And so if people became part of the, the inner circle, they could have heard the parables explained. We see something of that happening in, in verse 36, if you're following along there. In verse 36, Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. In the parable of the wheat and the weeds, there is a story of waiting patiently for when the kingdom comes completely. In the parable, good seed is sown, and also an enemy sows some bad seed. Now, in Jesus' time, there were actually uh, Roman laws established and in place uh, to deal specifically with the crime of sowing a seed called darnel uh, into somebody else's wheat field. Darnell is, not that I'm a farmer by the way, but from what I've learnt, uh, it's, it's like a ryegrass and it looks a lot like wheat in its early stages, uh, but it produces a smaller ear. Now, the problem with the Darnell was that it was, it was actually a poisonous grain. So uh, you couldn't actually detect it until, it until it had started to grow up. But if you harvested your wheat with the, the Darnell in it, uh, when you went to sell the thing, uh, nobody would want to buy it. So economically, you'd, you'd do your dough, so to speak. Uh, and also, because it was poisonous, it could be harmful to people as well. So the problem was, because you couldn't tell, the only time you work it out was when, when the actual crops needed to be harvested. And so that meant the, the painstaking task was you separated out the darnel from the wheat at the harvest time. Well, Jesus picks up on this problem of his time and he compares it to the situation of when God's kingdom comes in all its fullness. And he gives us an explanation of this parable as well. We've read that earlier about how the Son of Man, which is Jesus, he sows the good seed and that turns out to be the children of the kingdom. He tells us that the devil is the one who sows the weeds, which are the children of the devil. But that the harvest doesn't happen straight away. God doesn't bring the judgment time straight away. But when he does, we're told that there will be those who are in and there will be those who are out. And we're given the daunting image of being shut out of God's presence where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And yet for those who love Jesus and those who listen to him, They'll be described as those who shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Well, in this parable, the servants are keen that they should gather the, the seed 
straight away. And it's like asking for God's judgment to come straight away. And we can appreciate that feeling too, particularly times when unjust events happen in the world. Uh, when regimes shoot down jets with innocent people in it, we think there should be some justice. When we hear about people who drive cars as drunk drivers and they you know, do a lot of damage, we think, yeah, it would be nice for justice to come straight away. But we're told that God is patient and we need to be patient as well. Paul picks up on this idea of God's patience holding off the judgment day in Romans chapter 2. He says, God's patience allows time for people to repent and to turn back to him and become his children as well. Now some similar ideas about God's kingdom coming in its fullness are also captured in the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. The mustard seed is a tiny little seed. It looks almost laughable uh, compared to what it will become. It takes time for it to grow. It has humble beginnings, but it gets to the point where even birds can rest in its branches. It doesn't become a tree all at once, and it looks weak until it does grow as well. Even when this little seed's put into the ground, uh, you know what it's like if you've got a sapling, you have to put a little wire fence around it so that even little baby's balls, the little ones that you can buy from the service stations that don't cost very much and even they, they fly around very easily, even one of those little baby's balls could knock over the little plant. It looks pretty weak and it takes time and yet slowly but surely it becomes apparent that what was once weak at the beginning has in due time grown into something very significant. It looks quite different. And so Jesus is saying God's kingdom will grow, more people become part of it, and it looks significant at the end compared to its humble beginnings at the start. A similar message comes from the parable of the yeast. They took a piece of leftover dough uh, with yeast in it. Uh, they didn't have what you can buy the little foil packets with the yeast that we use in our bread makers back in those days. They left, had some leftover dough and they hid that in some other dough and that yeast in the, in the first part eventually worked its way through the big batch of dough. It was only small and didn't look very much and it didn't take effect straight away. It took time for that yeast to work through the whole batch of dough. It didn't happen straight away. And so Jesus is saying that's like God's kingdom. It doesn't come all at once. It takes time. It has humble beginnings. Jesus had a humble beginning. He was born into a humble family. He didn't enter into a king's family and wear royal robes. And he was rejected. He suffered. And he died on a cross. But he was resurrected. And that was marvellous and spectacular. But through his ministry, people became members of God's kingdom. As they repented, turned away from their sin, turned away from trusting themselves or anything else, as they put their trust in Jesus, they become members of his family, members of his kingdom, and received his forgiveness. 
Now, this age has not yet come to the end where God's judgment day has come and he's exercised justice over all evil and wrongdoing. But Jesus encourages us with these parables to exercise patience. God's kingdom can look humble and weak, but it has broken in on the present and it's had an impact on our lives. If we are those who trust in Jesus, we do enjoy forgiveness right now and a taste of what will be. But we still need to be patient and wait for the end to come in all its fullness. And that is a challenge because in this age uh, there is pain, there is grief, there is struggle, hardship and difficulties. And so it's still right that we pray the Lord's Prayer that says, Thy kingdom come. That's a good thing to do and the right thing to do. But at the same time, Part of our patience, we need to be conscious of the fact that God is allowing other people time to repent, to get right with him before his kingdom comes at the end too. And so we each have a responsibility uh, to share the reason for the hope that we have and to make most, the most of uh, God's patience for other people too. Well, the crowds heard this message. Would they remain on the outside and wonder what these parables are about? Would they think there's nothing in it? It's all a little bit of uh, ridiculous stories about farms. Or would they move to the inner circle and start to hear the explanation of these parables and let the message sink into their hearts? I'll pick it up in verse 34. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowds in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Well, he does give explanations, though, to those who are of the inner crowd who do value what he's got to say and want to figure it out, find out. So are we going to be those who uh, let it fall away from our minds or are we going to be those who love Jesus and his words and let his teaching sink in and look forward to the hope of the kingdom that comes at the end? Well, Jesus continues on the topic of his theme of the kingdom once again and he now moves towards the value of the kingdom and he talks about treasure in a field. In the first value uh, parable, rather, at verse 44, he speaks about a person who's just stumbling along and they find something of great value, of enormous value. He's not looking for it and he just happens upon this treasure in a field. And that's without a metal detector too. Now if Jesus was telling the parable today, I think he might have said something like, a man was walking along on a rubbish heap and he stumbled upon a hard drive. <laughs> Maybe not. Well, what happened? Well, when the man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy, because he was delighted to find this treasure, he went and sold all that he had and bought the field. He could see that it was so valuable. It was worth sacrificing everything else for it. And Jesus says that God's kingdom is like that. It's valuable like that. It's more valuable than anything else. And we ought to make it our single aim to be part of it. The next example or the parable is uh, the pearl. It's similar to the uh, guy who's found the treasure in the field, but this time... There is the merchant and he's looking. 
He's looking for something special. He's gone to a pearl farm, it seems, and he's trying to find one that's worthwhile that he can take back to the city and put a good mark up on it and make the most of it. And he happens upon a pearl of great value. He can see it's worth so much and so he sells everything to buy it. He might sell his goat, uh, he might sell his tent, I don't know what he's got, but he sells whatever he's got, other pearls included, so that he can buy that one pearl because he knows it's going to make the difference. Perhaps he knows he can sell it for a great price as well when he gets back to a city. But the key point is that he can see the value of this pearl and so he's, he sells everything else in order to get it. Well, Jesus' message is the kingdom is like that. It's valuable like that. It's more valuable than anything else. And we ought to hold on to the good news of salvation that comes through Jesus. And it's something we ought to be offering to the world. A world that needs to get right with God uh, needs to hear about this valuable message as well. And so each of us in our own ways, in the communities that we're part of, where we rub shoulders with all kinds of people, uh, when we've got an opportunity, this is a really treasured thing for us to, to share. It's interesting, some people don't always want to hear anything about it though, and, and we have to be careful when to work out when not to throw pearls before swine too. But certainly, uh, this is something which we should treasure as valuable, God's message of the kingdom and our salvation that comes through Christ, which, which is what it's all about. And uh, we should make it our single focus. Well, in application, it's one thing to see uh, how valuable the kingdom is. It's another thing to act on it. Jim Courier, those of you who've uh, followed a bit of tennis over the years, uh, once said, it's one thing to see the fruit and it's quite another thing to taste it. Uh, he was talking about two players uh, watching, seeing there was a trophy before them for a grand title and the prize money that goes with it and they were banging the tennis ball back and forth to see who was going to win. It was one thing to be able to see it but it's quite another thing to actually benefit uh, from winning and have it. And so we can appreciate what Jesus is saying. We can say, yes, the kingdom is valuable, but it's one thing to know that, and it's another thing to taste it. And we need to be those who act in faith in order to receive salvation from our sin. And so if you're a person who hasn't yet come to that point in life where you can see that it's valuable to become part of God's kingdom, well, the challenge for you is to actually Follow what Jesus says. Repent and put your trust in him. Ask God for forgiveness that comes through the work of Jesus who had his humble beginnings where he suffered and laid down his life and was risen again for our salvation. Well, we've got two final parables that speak again about God's kingdom and those who are in God's kingdom. The first one is about a net that goes down and captures all kinds of fish. The net collects good fish and bad fish at once. And it's a way of saying that at the harvest, there's a, there is one single harvest. Uh, for those who love God and those who don't, there is a judgment day. 
And once again, there is a picture in terms that are serious, uh, that talk about weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we're given this sort of language, I think, because Jesus doesn't want people to be outside of his kingdom. He wants them to take God seriously and know that God is the God, he's the judge. Uh, we're not standing there judging him, he's judging us. We need to get right with him. And so Jesus is giving these images so that people might actually turn back to God and get right with him. The next image or parable is about treasure that's old and new. And it seems that the idea of God's kingship and his kingdom, it does, it does have its origin in the Old Testament. God is revealed as king. But the new thing is that Jesus is fulfilling God's plans to bring in that kingdom, that time of God's reign. And so that's the new treasure. We start to see how God's plans are fulfilled. Well, at the opening of this sermon, we saw that James Howells saw how valuable his bitcoins were, but only after it was too late. And Jesus challenges us to see the world differently too. To see that the message of the kingdom is more valuable than bitcoins or anything else. And the kingdom doesn't come all at once. We need to be patient. In this age, it doesn't look altogether impressive, but Jesus challenges us to see the world differently. He is the king in God's kingdom. He's the servant king. He calls us to be people who repent and believe in him and to come under his kingship and be part of his kingdom. And for each one of us, there's nothing more valuable than that. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we do thank you for Jesus that he did enter the world, uh, that he had humble beginnings, that he suffered and died to bear our sin. Lord, we thank you that he calls all kinds of people, including us, to repent and put our trust in him and to enjoy forgiveness of sins and salvation. Lord, we acknowledge that uh, we look, would like your kingdom to come soon, but we pray for patience until that day. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom would grow as more and more people come to put their trust in Jesus as well. And Lord, we pray for a wisdom to know how we can be part of that mission uh, to grow your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for the great value of your kingdom. Uh, at times, Lord, it it may look weak in this age, but we give you thanks that uh, Jesus compares it to things that are of enormous value. Please help us to remember how valuable your kingdom is. Lord, help us to be those who continue to persevere with Jesus as Lord and Saviour and to enter your kingdom at the end. We pray for these things in his name. Amen.